0: Welcome to season four of the Fit Farming Food Mom podcast. I am your host, Connie, world champion powerlifter, former bodybuilder, and elite trainer and nutrition coach. As a movement enthusiast and health nerd, I'm here on this show to speak with educated guests as we dive into the realm of all things health, fitness, mindset, and everything in between. If you enjoy the show, please do me a huge favor by smashing the like button or subscribing and leaving me a review. Now let's get to the show. Happy New Year, everyone. I'm so thankful that you decided to join me today for another podcast. Today, I have an excellent episode for you with Jeffrey Sue. He is someone that I have done lots of classes and stuff under, um... For quite some time now, I think I've been following his work for probably two or three years. He is an extreme brain in the health and fitness industry. A lot of their stuff revolves around bodybuilding, but also it kind of jumps into the functional side of things, hormone repair and all of that. It seems like when you're in the bodybuilding space, which myself and Jeff are both from that culture, you start to learn things, right? You learn about metabolic adaptations and thyroid and all these things that start to downregulate when you go through bodybuilding preps. And that kind of sends you down these functional rabbit holes. So uh, Jeff has evolved with his practices as well as myself because we have learned so much about what goes on with the body. And so that kind of takes us into general population and, and away from bodybuilding where we can start to help all of these other people because they are also dealing with a lot of the similar things that some of these women in bodybuilding are dealing with because of metabolic issues, chronic dieting, stuff like that. So that's kind of the space where Jeff and I sit and Jeff is far more educated than myself. And so I'm excited to have him on the podcast to talk about lab tests and what ones are important for optimization and why. So this is a really good episode. I'm really excited to be bringing it to you. Before we dive into it, I just want to remind you about my favorite electrolyte drink and the sponsor of this podcast, LMNT. You can pop on over to the website at drinklmnt.com forward slash Connie and get yourself a free sample pack. And also I heard a little rumor that they may be shipping an extra box out with every order. So that is really awesome. Uh, One of my clients actually just told me that. So sounds like there's some extra goodies on the table right now. Their products are amazing. I wouldn't tout anything that I wasn't a huge believer in. And my family and myself have been using LMNT probably for the last three or four years now. Excellent company Rob Wolf the owner is actually going to be coming on the podcast here probably in a couple weeks or a month and we're going to talk about all sorts of good things electrolyte balance he is another very smart person in the health space so I'm excited for that podcast but until then go on over get yourself a sample pack try it out it's great stuff and we will now get to the show. All right, Jeff, I'm super, super excited to have you coming on the show. Finally, we've tried to connect a couple times, but we're both busy people, and so it's hard yeah. sometimes.
1: It is, yeah. This is like maybe like half a year in the making, I think.
0: Uh, yeah, or maybe possibly more. I'm not sure, but... uh <laughs> Anyway, so to give a little background to our listeners, you are basically what I would call like a functional health coach slash you do bodybuilding slash you do kind of everything. But um, yeah. there's a group of you guys that are all really awesome. I've taken classes from every single one of you, um, probably all. I think I've taken every one of yours, actually. Um, mm-hmm. And tons and tons of lab work classes. People know I I love lab work. It's really one of my favorite things. Uh, And out of all of them, you are still one of my favorites as far as oh. the go-to with the lab work. So I've been dying to get you on the show to talk about that because I could get on and spout stuff off by myself, but it's always so much more fun to do it with somebody else. Yeah,
1: yeah. You have someone to bounce ideas off of. Yeah. It's a, only in conversation,
2: right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, so I, I first want you to kind of tell my listeners a little bit about who you are, what you do, and what got you into this.
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, like you said, you know, my name is Jeffrey Sue. I own a, a coaching business called First Call Out Fitness. Uh, it was founded in bodybuilding, you know, hence the name First Callout. But I work with, um, you know, myself and my assistant coach, Laura Goldstein. We work with, you know, a wide variety of clientele across the spectrum of fitness. So we have bodybuilders. We have women who are trying to have their, you know, first healthy pregnancy, or women trying to get their, you know, postpartum weight off. People with thyroid issues, gut issues, adrenal issues—you name it, we've seen it. Um, I've been coaching now for over ten years. Uh, my formal education is actually in business. I have an MBA. Um, I worked about eight years in finance, in uh, in corporate and retail um, finance, and um, you know, I, I'm just passionate about fitness, so I'm very much self-taught, although I do hold certificates from ACSM and AFPA for training and nutrition.
0: Awesome. Well, and that's kind of the hard part, right? You turn into these, this nutrition slash hormone slash everything guru, right? And you have to be multifaceted Mm -hmm. in this industry, uh, for sure. Uh, and it's so funny. People are always like, who are you certified through? And I'm like, okay, well, I do hold certifications, but here's the deal. I don't think yeah. I learned shit from any of those, right? I learned it all from diving into things, rab- diving down crazy rabbit holes constantly. And then it's crazy. The more you know, the more you don't know. And it could almost drive a person that's into this kind of stuff insane.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it, it's a fine line that we have to walk because the the pure personal trainer in the gym can only go so far and that model I guess or that approach has left a lot of people hanging but at the same time you get into this functional stuff and you're like god should I just go back to like school and become a doctor or something do I need to go to med school and it doesn't have to be that in depth either
0: Mm -hmm. well the funny part is is I actually looked into that because I was like, okay, I'm just going to become a nurse practitioner. This will be way better. And I just going to finish off my education. Right. Well, when I started pursuing that, uh, one of my close friends is a cardiologist and he was actually moving out of cardiology and into health coaching because he's just like, I can't deal with Mm. the typical medical climate anymore. And so we became really good friends and he was like, do not become a doctor or a nurse practitioner. He said, first of all, the malpractice insurance is you're never going to make your money back if you're flying solo and you're not in some kind of group. And he yes. said, secondarily, you're actually responsible legally so much more once you add those letters to your name. So he was like, don't do it. Keep doing what you're doing and just just learn as much as you can and and stick with what you're doing. So I was like, okay, mm. you convinced me, buddy.
1: Yep. Yeah, I mean, the gripe with, um, you know, that I hear from, you know, my clients who are doctors, physicians of all types, is the insurance, you know, they're, they're Mm -hmm. not, they're not making as much money as the general populace would think a doctor would be making. And everyone needs to earn a living. So a lot of them are moving into coaching or sort of like, you know, uh, doing it on the side, you know, parlaying their medical knowledge into health coaching. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely.
0: Well, that's all cool stuff. But today I'm hoping to chat at you a little bit about lab work because it's such an important thing. And people don't realize that the standard panel that they're having run in their allopathic medical practice is typically lacking a lot of the things that they need actually in order to optimize their (coughs) health. So I'm sure you've heard, as we all have, right, in this industry, is like, I, I don't feel good, but my labs are normal. Or within range, all those yeah. things, and and when people like you and I start diving down that rabbit hole, we start to see all sorts <laughs> of things on labs that we can use to optimize someone's health or even weight <laughs> loss journey.
1: Yeah, I think um, you know the first thing for your listeners here, or anybody listening to this, really, is to you know not you know gaslight yourself in the sense that if you feel off if you've been feeling unhealthy, you you think that there's something wrong with your body, don't let someone tell you that, oh, you're crazy, you're overthinking it, or whatever. I think, you know, yes, there are some people who are hypochondriacs, okay? But for the most part, for the most, like, you know, average, you know, people out there who think there's something wrong with their body, it's worth investigating. The other thing is that, you know, lab work and you know, what doctors run typically is really the bare bones, um, you know, CBC panel complete, you know, blood cell count. Um, You know, you're running TSH, you know, thyroid stimulating hormone. Um, It doesn't really tell too much. And the ranges, you know, most people are going to fall within the range because the ranges are so generous. So it's kind of like if you have a kid and, you know, he comes home with a C minus on his on his biology test, and you know the teacher's like oh yeah it's normal but i mean of course you want your kids to be getting a's you want your kids to be doing well in school so it's the same thing it's a range but but does being at the bottom of the range you know is that a good thing no it's not so
0: no we don't want to just barely pass our classes i mean if you go you seek out to- a doctor you're not going to want the d minus doctor you're going to want the <laughs> a plus one
1: <laughs> right Yeah, that's a whole nother rabbit hole. But but I just want people to know that, you know, just because the the labs say normal doesn't mean you should ignore how you're feeling. You should feel great. And then wherever the labs are, they are. But um, just keep those two things in mind.
0: Awesome. Well, and I want to just caveat this with, as you know, we are not doctors. We're just people that nerd out on all of this stuff and have made it our like life purpose to understand it well. So, uh, hopefully we're able to help as many people as possible, at least bring valuable information to their own practitioner and understand themselves better so that they can, you know, help their health journey. So, Mm -hmm. um, so diving into that, when you look at lab work, What do you like to order and why?
1: Okay. Yeah. I think for the most part, you know, most people will benefit from at least getting their sex hormones checked. So for both men and women, this includes testosterone, progesterone and estrogen. Um, I would also suggest getting insulin tested, your fasted insulin along with your A1C and your fasted blood glucose that covers, you know, the whole insulin sensitivity or resistance, um, sector of lab work, which, you know, some people may have heard of, you know, resistance and sensitivity. And then I would also get TSH, your thyroid stimulating hormone. I would get T4, you know, free T4 correction there, free T4, free T3, um, and maybe cortisol fasted cortisol uh, to check how your adrenal function is. I think if you start there and then of course, you get the CBC, uh, panel, which comes standard, that's enough to, to start.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. So when you get into this, let's talk about hormones, especially in females first, because I think mm-hmm. that's important. A lot of women will come to me and they'll be like, yeah, I had my hormones done here. Here they are. They don't realize that if you are pre, you know, before menopause right or there's there's other your the hormones in your cycle fluctuate based on the time and the month that you're at and there's actually an optimal time of the month to get those labs drawn in order to kind of get a better picture of what's going on so can you dive into that a little bit with us
1: yeah yeah so for women you want to get your your hormones your sex hormones tested in your luteal phase usually around days 19 to 21 of your menstrual cycle. And day one would be the first day of real, you know, heavy bleeding, you know, you're bleeding for about, you know, three, maybe five days and, you know, going through maybe, you know, four to five tampons, uh, or pads worth of blood, right? So that's day one, you start counting. So, you know, it's important to get it within days 19 and 21, because that's when you ovulate. And when you ovulate, Uh, The follicle that releases the egg turns into something called the corpus luteum, which is why the second part of your period is called the luteal phase. Um, And this corpus luteum then pumps out progesterone. So if you get your labs tested before day 19, ovulation hasn't occurred, so you could get a misread and the labs will say that you have low progesterone. Where, you know, if you got it tested between days 19 and 21, that's a better representation of how much progesterone your corpus luteum is pumping out.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, so that's great information. Now, what happens when you have somebody that is maybe got amenorrhea or they're on birth control? Does that impact the time of month that they need to get their labs drawn?
1: Yeah. So, you know, if you're on birth control, you're you're not going to be ovulating. You're not going to be, he- you know, secreting progesterone, right? Or if you have any sort of augury amenorrhea or hypothalamic amenorrhea, primary or secondary, your periods are going to be, you know, all over the place or non-existent, right? So in that case, just go whenever. It doesn't matter when you go um, because you could be testing other things like, you know, testosterone, how low your testosterone is, You're, you know, you could see your LH and FSH is probably going to be very low in other areas that I mentioned earlier. Those can all be tested whenever in your menstrual cycle.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, um, not to dive down a rabbit hole here, but women can also have a bleed without ovulating, correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you have an ovulatory cycles mm-hmm. where, you know, for whatever reason, you just don't ovulate. Uh, It could be stress, could be inflammation, but yeah, you could have a period and not ovulate, which is why, you know, conceiving can be a problem for a lot of couples out there where, you know, they're, they're trying and trying to have a baby, but they just can't because they don't have the, the uh, ovulation taking place.
0: Mm -hmm. So is that a scenario where you recommend somebody start also tracking their basal body temperature as well?
1: Yeah. You know, period tracking apps, there's plenty of them out there. Um, they track, you know, things from, you know, basal body temperature, right? Your temperature usually rises, um, in that luteal phase because progesterone actually, um, it lowers something called thyroid binding globulin. It's a protein released by your liver. So you have more thyroid hormone to be floating around and increasing your body temp when there's lower TBG, um, but anyways, yeah. So if, um, you know, you're tracking BBT, that's one thing, you know, you can also track cervical mucus, you can track other period symptoms. Um, you can also use past period data, like the dates of which they occurred to predict your next fertile period if you're trying for, you know, baby making. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a lot of ways that you can, you can track.
0: So, why is it important for women to track estrogen, progesterone, testosterone? There's the other ones too, but some of those are the mm. heavy hitters. Um, why is that important?
1: Well, it's important because the period is uh, is almost like a like a looking glass into a woman's health. You know, I think from an early age, women are are taught that periods are a nuisance and they should be covered up. Um, it's shameful, it's embarrassing. Let's just get on breath control and forget about it, right. But I think if you you know take the time to nurture your body and understand the hormonal ebbs and flows of progesterone, estrogen, and testosterone, you'll be better able to manage your lifestyle stressors and know when to push your body, when to pull back, when to care for it a little bit more and not push you know the late nights at work or going out drinking every weekend. Um, so it really is a barometer that you can, you know, adjust your lifestyle
2: off of.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, how about testosterone? I know that's kind of a scary word for a lot of females, right? You, you yeah. say the word testosterone and it they make you, they think it's like, oh, you only do that if you want to be a bodybuilder, but it actually has yeah. a lot of benefits.
1: Yeah. I mean, mood, sexual health, sex drive, muscle building, Um, fat loss, a lot of it, um, you know, comes from, you know, having adequate levels of testosterone. And for most women, you want to be anywhere from maybe like 40 to like, maybe like 70 to 80 nanograms per deciliter. Um, obviously when you're younger, your hormones are going to be higher. Um, it's also a point of contention with, um, you know, HRT when women are trying to, you know, replace testosterone in their later years it's often fumbled by clinics where the testosterone ends up being too high or they get put on things like pellets. And that can cause a lot of water retention, weight gain, and DHT um, side effects like acne and and hair loss and greasy skin, things like that. So too much testosterone is not a good thing either.
0: Yeah. And I've actually had this conversation frequently. Uh, It is crazy uh, trying to get people into some form of HRT where the clinician is not pushing extreme levels of, of hormone replacement. Uh, it seems like, and I mean, there's, I think there's a lot of pharmaceutical influence in that too. And I mean, you could elaborate on that if you wanted, but, um, the, It's so hard because they're like, oh, well, my doctor said, I said, well, you, if your testosterone gets that high, you're going to start dealing with a lot of stuff that's not good. um, Including like they're putting people that are obese on TRT, high TRT, and then you're adding to the insulin sensitivity problem. Uh, So I feel Mm -hmm. like, but then they're like, oh no, my clinician says it's great and it'll help with insulin sensitivity and it'll do this and it'll do that. And I'm like, okay, well, um, There is no example in nature aside from some people that have some hyperandrogenism actually having crazy high testosterone like that. It's not Mm -hmm. healthy, but there's a big push now with this more is better kind of thinking. And it's really, really sad for the patient.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of miseducation out there on the patient slash client side, but also the clinician side, because a lot of the information is outdated for example, like I mentioned, the pellet HRT route, you know, when women get a pellet for testosterone, their levels almost always are, you know, super high. Um, They fluctuate wildly. Um, There's also a lot of miseducation out there. Like even with men, when men get testosterone replacement, they're told to inject, you know, once a week or once every two weeks, and the levels aren't stable. Um, There's, I've seen mistakes where a woman is, you know, thinks that she's taking five, um, you know, mg's per week, and she's actually taking five tick marks on the syringe per week, and that ends up being, God knows, maybe like ten times higher
2: than um, what. She
1: <laughs> should. Yeah. So and then and then she's wondering why am I getting acne? Well, it's because you're taking, you know, fifty milligrams of testosterone a week. I
0: I actually just experienced this I had a client of my own ran yeah. out of her cream and she's like well my boyfriend just gave me a little bit of his injection and I did it we ran her testosterone she was I was like how much are you taking she's like oh just a quarter of a cc it, her testosterone was 800 oh yeah
2: yeah, yeah. yeah was I was there. like "Whoa,
0: yeah. whoa whoa we can't do this no no no
2: No. Yeah.
1: I mean, short term, you're not going to see too many uh, side effects, but long term, you do that long term. These drugs compound over time and their effects build up over time. Right. Um, And, you know, on a side note, you know, any amount of testosterone that you take, multiply it by five. That's what you see on your lab work. So, you know, going back to what I said about how most women should be optimized at between 60 to maybe like 70 or 80 nanograms per deciliter. Take that 80 and divide it by five and that's how much you should be taking at the most for for most HRT cases. So if your labs are showing 200 300 there's something wrong with your dosing.
0: Mhm. And it's like it's it it's it can be super um it can be a good contributor to your mood and your energy levels and your libido yeah. and a lot of those things. So women think they're just going to like bulk up if their testosterone levels get into, if they go on HRT yeah. or if they, if you start moving their testosterone levels up a little bit when really they they're going to feel so much better and even potentially shed fat better because they are more efficient.
1: Yeah. The bulking up fear, you know, I just want to clear that up. It's like, yes, you know, testosterone can help men and women bulk up if you eat a lot of food and you train like a crazy person. And I think most women who are looking to just feel better, they're in their 40s, 50s. They're not in there, you know, setting PRs in the hack squat or deadlifting 500 pounds, you know, or shoving 3000 calories down their throats. Right. Um, so the bulking up thing isn't going to happen. The testosterone will make you feel good to a degree. Just be careful not to take too much because then you'll just get a whole bunch of side effects.
0: Mm hmm. Absolutely. Well, so that's a good one. Now I want to kind of dive down another rabbit hole with that one, Jeff, while we're sitting on that subject, because you mentioned cortisol and thyroid and there are a lot of Mm -hmm. markers. So I find, and you may find this as well, uh, maybe you can elaborate, but I find most women are overdoing it in some way, shape or form when it comes to people in like the fitness realm or general population women that start getting into Mm -hmm. fitness. They think they need to Overdo it in order to get results. And so you kind of sometimes see that come back on lab work um, as adrenal stress. And so that's when Mm -hmm. you start seeing things like DHEA downregulated and progesterone Mm -hmm. downregulated and testosterone. Can you kind of elaborate on some of that stuff just a little bit?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it's all mindset and emotional habit rooted, right? So, you know, humans are impatient. In general, we're attracted to shiny new things. Uh, We want to go crazy. We want to do seventy-five hard. We want to do keto. You know, we want to get the weight off fast, even though in reality, if you ask yourself, you haven't really cared about getting the weight off or keeping it off for years, and all of a sudden you want to get it off fast. So you know that you know uh, proclivity for you know impatient, intense methods you know pushes people towards extremes. And they, they're training six days a week, they're doing two hours of cardio, they're cutting their calories down They're doing keto. And all of a sudden, they hit a wall, they binge and then the cycle repeats. So that's why there are people out there who might be listening to this podcast, who've been trying to lose the same 20 pounds for the last seven years. And it's just getting worse and worse. And then they get older and older. And then they have this pressure of time that they're like, Oh my god, I'm 40 now. Oh my god, I'm 45. Oh my god, I'm 50. And it just like, it it destroys them. That pressure just comes down on them. But if you take a deep breath, just pause and think about, you know, longevity in the sport or the pursuit of fitness, you'll realize that these extremes have done you no good. And a lot of that's reflected on lab work. So you see women with, you know, very, very high cortisol or they keep pushing it too far and too long That cortisol starts to plummet, and you start waking up feeling like 10 cups of coffee can't even get you out of bed. And you're flatlined. That's what we call it as coaches, right? Your sex drive starts to tank. You don't even want your husband to look at you or touch you, you know? And that's when you know that there's something wrong. When your kids piss you off, even when they're, you know, drawing some picture and they're like, hey, mommy, and you're like, I don't even wanna see it, you know? Um, you just turn into like, it's like Dr. Jekyll and, and, uh, Mr. Hyde or whatever. Right. So you, mm-hmm. you want to avoid that? Yeah. Yeah.
0: I've been there actually. So that, <laughs> and I, and all of my listeners probably know that, like, that's where I came from. Right. So, um, yeah. and that was part of my thing as a coach is I didn't ever want to put people in that position. I, I yeah. wanted to make sure that they understood that they could do so much more with less.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, when you're if you're in that situation and you're just impatient, you're feeling pressure, you're feeling anxiety, and you just want the weight off, you just got to just take a deep breath, just stop, reevaluate what you're doing, and then trim things down to something a little more basic and sustainable for yourself. Yeah, and then I promise you, the results will come fast
2: Mm -hmm. if you do
1: that.
0: So you could could you explain a little bit what some adrenal issues could look like on lab work then?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, on lab work, you know, obviously the cortisol, right? You'd see fasted cortisol, um, either serum, you know, you'd see it really, really high, really, really low. Um, Better ways to test cortisol, honestly, would be a saliva cortisol test. Um, There are a lot of third-party companies right now that are offering that at home, and you literally test your saliva at home, and they'll tell you what your cortisol levels are. You can also get something called a dried urine test, which is, you know, abbreviated as Dutch, Mm-hmm. And, you know, cortisol is metabolized into cortisone in the kidneys. And so that's why we can absorb, we can observe um, cortisol metabolism on the Dutch test, keeping in mind that each test point is a reflection of the prior time frame, because urine is voided, right? So then whatever you pee out now is a reflection of hormone levels, maybe several hours ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so just understand that about the Dutch because cortisol is plotted in a pattern and usually people do morning, midday, afternoon, and evening. So you need to understand, you know, the time of testing and the time where the hormones were highest when you're looking at that curve. Mm-hmm. Um, as you mentioned, Connie, there's, uh, you know, DHEA, um, which is, uh, you know, one of the androgens in males and females that can get low testosterone tends to get low as well. And this is because the ovaries and the testes and to a degree, the adrenals will prioritize, um, you know, cortisol production, glucocorticoid production over sex hormone production in times of stress. It's simply the body's mechanism of self-preservation and we're putting off more metabolically expensive, processes like reproduction. So that's why your sex fat tanks when you're stressed.
0: Mm -hmm. Makes a lot of sense. I like that. So let's kind of back up. We touched on uh, all the sex hormones and stuff like that. And we even kind of touched on cortisol a little. Let's kind of dive into the thyroid because that's another thing that I see is frequently not optimal on people with their lab work.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So TSH is, um, you know, like I said earlier, thyroid stimulating hormone, and it's a hormone that, you know, controls basically what, you know, the thyroid outputs in terms of, you know, the uh, the actual hormones, T4 and T3, which act on your cells, every cell in the body, really. The thyroid controls like this rate at which your nails grow, your, your body temp, your hair, you know, how often you, you poop. Um, the thyroid controls all that. So if you see a high TSH, That's usually not a good thing. High means hypo, means low thyroid hormone, because your body can sense how much hormone is floating around. So if it's low, it sends a signal to your brain, and your brain then tells your thyroid, hey, let's kick up production. So the TSH goes up. Now, if you have a lot of thyroid hormone, like say your doctor puts you on, you know, cytomel or, you know, levothyroxine, T4, and you're taking too much you might see a very, very low TSH. And so TSH, you want to be right around like a two to 2.5, kind of like a Goldilocks thing, right? Not too hot, not too cold.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so TSH is often used as a barometer as doctors. That's why they run it all the time to um, quickly check you know, where that feedback loop is, where that balance is in your thyroid hormones.
0: Mm-hmm. So how come... Well, we know that this is one of the ones that they only check, right? You just said that. But Mm -hmm. how come sometimes that number is normal, yet the thyroid is not outputting when it needs to downstream?
1: Yeah. So that's because of inflammation. So inflammation, think of inflammation as like, if you have a, a lock that's old and rusty and dirty, and it's all gunked up and you can't get the key into it to open the door. Um, think of hormones and their respective receptors as such a relationship where the receptor is the lock and the hormone is the key. So if you have inflammation going on, let's say you're very stressed out, you've been eating a lot of, you know, processed foods, you've been drinking alcohol, those send signals like via your gut to your brain, and it triggers a cytokine response. And there's a handful of main cytokines, TNF-alpha being one of them, CRP, um, JNK, and IKK complexes, which will downregulate your metabolism and prepare you for stress, basically. And so... When you're down-regulating the system, what do you turn off first? It's like your thyroid, right? Let's slow down hair growth. Let's slow down skin cell production. Let's slow down GI motility. So what happens when you eat processed foods and drink alcohol and are stressed out for a long time? Your skin starts to look like shit. Your hair falls out. You can't poop. You can't mm-hmm. sleep. And that's basically the physical sim- symptomatic manifestations of subclinical hypothyroidism.
0: Absolutely. And you know, that's kind of a thing. I've said this before, and I, I probably have some hate over it. But you hear a lot of people saying they are overweight because they they have a hypothyroid. But sometimes yeah. they have to think, I I may have a thyroid problem because I'm overweight. What came first, the chicken or the egg, right? It's so easy. Yes. It's so easy to blame it on the thyroid, but how about your poor eating habits and lifestyle choices leading up to that, that had caused the inflammation that caused that thyroid to downregulate?
1: Exactly. Yeah. You know, you know, a lot of people, this is like a, maybe like another debate or rabbit hole or conversation, but being fat in itself or having body fat in itself doesn't necessarily mean that you have metabolic dysregulation. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you think of women with lean PCOS, they look healthy.
2: Mm-hmm. They look
1: lean, right? They're not fat, but they're metabolically dysregulated. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can only look at it one way, going one way, meaning that body fat is is often a physical manifestation of metabolic diseases or metabolic processes not being optimized. Not mm-hmm. yeah. the other way around. Being obese doesn't always mean that you know, you're, yeah. you're unhealthy.
0: Well, yeah. And that's another true story, right? Cause how many people, especially in this realm of social media that I love so much, right? Uh, yeah. how many people, I mean, I have a client that's in love with this macro coach online that eats nothing but dog shit food. Right. Yeah. And she, but she's a figure <laughs> competitor and she's lean and she's got the big yeah. belts and all that like 20, you know, year round. Right. And I'm like, listen, That Just because that person's macro counting and says she's healthy based on a manifestation of what the outside looks, I would love to see her lab work. They might be fine. Who knows? But, I mean, there are so many people out there in the fitness realm where you know that those lab work, that labs are more than likely got some major issues going on. Those people aren't telling... They're not telling their, the people online, they don't have their period. They're not telling them about all these other GI issues and chronic diarrhea. They're not telling them about any of that stuff. They're just, (laughs) you know, they're just telling them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. As coaches, you know, at least, you know, I, I can speak for myself here that I've seen a lot of these Instagrammers and, you know, fitness, you know, people who have severe, severe, severe health issues. But nobody would ever know, and nobody really cares to ask because they just want to look a certain way.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: the truth is is completely different.
0: Right. Absolutely. Well, so that was a fun rabbit hole to dive down. But um, so when the thyroid starts to downregulate, there's a couple different things, right? So you see maybe that the overall function is not optimal beginning with T4 being low and then downstream, we see effects with that, or there may be someone that is generating enough T4, but it's not converting. So can you walk us through some of that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So T4 is, um, you know, let's just call it like a parent, hormone. Okay. And then T3 is the more active. So T4 is like the parent reserve hormone. Then the thyroid, the body will convert T4 into T3, which then acts on the cells in order to convert T4 to T3, you need things like magnesium and zinc and B vitamins. Um, you need to be healthy in order to to have this process take place. Um, and that often happens in the, the liver and the gut. So if you're gut isn't healthy, meaning that you're not digesting well, you're not eating enough fruits and vegetables and things like that. Um, that conversion will be impaired and you won't get as much of a bang for your buck with T3. Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
1: you know, going back to what needs to be tested for thyroid hormones too, there's also, you know, I may have mentioned TBG with a progesterone thing, mm-hmm. but TBG can be increased under stress. You could have more production of reverse T3 instead of free T3 in situations of a stress of stress and inflammation. And think of reverse T3 as like the brakes, and the T3 is the gas. So if you want to get your body going, get pooping, you don't want to hit the brakes. You want to hit the gas. So those things can affect the thyroid as well. Of course, you know there's you know diseases like Graves and Hashimoto's, which are autoimmune diseases where the body is attacking the thyroid cells. And there are tests you can run. One of them is TPOAB, um, thyroid peroxidase antibodies. And then there's another one called TGAB, thyroglobulin antibodies, uh, which would signify an
2: autoimmune condition.
0: Mm-hmm. Now you're seeing. I have a little theory here and I'd love to get your piece on it, but um, you're seeing yeah. a lot more people, obviously, especially women pop up with autoimmune disease, but now you're right. also seeing it in men more frequently. And I mean, yeah. there, there's a lot of stressors, right? But uh, I mean, if you look back at the studies, men are less susceptible to autoimmune disease and they're starting to link that to testosterone Uh mm-hmm. But what I've and people are like, oh, well, men have it now, too. But if you think about Mm -hmm. it, you're running a lot of male labs now and their testosterone is totally down in the crapper. And Mm -hmm. so I have this little theory that you're seeing more and more men with it because their testosterone is not optimized.
1: Yeah, I don't see I don't know that the any clear direct connections between sex hormones and autoimmune diseases. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of research. There's a lot of research going on there. Um, but doctors and researchers haven't even come up with a clear connection. What people do know is that women, you know, for Hashimoto's, for example, women are far more likely to develop Hashimoto's simply because of the way estrogen and progesterone interact with the thyroid,
2: mm-hmm. um, and
1: how the, the menstrual cycle is is constantly changing. And then you add in birth control and things like that. Um, it's a mix that people are trying to unravel. But we know that women in general are more susceptible to autoimmune diseases.
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: I feel like, you know, our industry in general right now is is now moving on to the immune system. You know, 2019 was all about the gut, all about sex hormones. The functional coach sort of was birthed in 2019, I would say. And, you know, everyone was making posts about gut health in 2020, Mm -hmm. 2021. And now you know some people are leading the charge about autoimmune issues, and I would just caution everybody to to you know stop and you know again take a deep breath and think that just because you're tired, you have weight loss resistance or whatever doesn't mean that you have an autoimmune disease. Autoimmune right. diseases are very very clearly defined and marked in the medical community. You can test for them. You would know if you have psoriasis or Crohn's or whatever else Hashimoto's. Mm-hmm. So. Don't fall for any quackery
2: out there.
0: Right. It's kind of. So when I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's, uh, my TPO was eleven hundred.
2: Yeah. That's weird. So, yeah. Indicator <laughs> yeah. And
0: it was quite it was quite interesting. Cause I had been complaining of a problem since I was 18 years old, literally.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, I was an athlete, yeah. ran track and field, did all the things right. Never recovered, yeah. always felt like dog shit. And they were like, Oh, well maybe you have mono or maybe you have this, or maybe no one ever checked my TPO. Right. Until finally okay. I found I was having these problems. I was doing tons of bodybuilding shows, you know, cause that's healthy. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was having these problems and I finally, I couldn't get a doctor to help me. Th- they were like, "You look great, right?" And I'm like, "Oh, I don't feel great." I finally found a doctor that was a bodybuilder, so I could go to her and be like, "Hey, here's what's going on," and she yeah. had identified it immediately. And I'm sure it was extra flared up because of competing and stuff like that. But I'm probably, yeah. I'm pretty sure I probably had it a very long time, right? Um,
2: yeah.
0: Which I, who knows? I'm always curious when that what when it happened. But uh, anyway, yeah. So. Um, yeah. That was a clear indicator that there was definitely a problem, right?
1: It's just one of those silent things that, you know, You know, doctors aren't going to test you for TPOAB or TJB. Like I said, they run TSH, maybe free T4. Mm-hmm. That's it, if you're lucky and your CBC. But yeah, that's why it's so important for people to be aware. And, you know, this podcast, this episode here will help with that awareness that, you know, there are other things that people should look into and push for testing and ask their doctors to explain to them. Um, if they happen to not feel right and suspect something is off, Mm -hmm. don't just take no for an answer and say, oh yeah, you're fine. You're normal. You know, don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's unfortunate because a lot of the clients that I, you know, coach or meet are women in their forties and fifties. And they're often put on antidepressants. They're put on a whole bunch of, you know, PPIs or other drugs for, you know, constipation, diarrhea, whatever. Because nobody's ever, you know, educated them about, you know, birth control or any of these other supplements and, you know, things that they've been doing in terms of their exercise, over-exercising that led them to, you know, the point today. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's our job as coaches or practitioners or whatever to sort of unravel that history Mm -hmm. and figure out where to take them next.
0: Yeah. So you brought up the liver back there Jeff as far as being involved in the thyroid process. So yeah. when you're looking at people's labs, are there labs that you look yeah. at that show the liver health and is there a range that you like to see those labs in?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, liver you're 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 mainly looking at um ALT um and AST. So those two are your classic um liver enzymes um liver uh, markers on the on the serum lab test. And I want people to think of A-L-T, the L to stand for liver and the S standing for other stuff. Mm. Okay. So A-L-T is liver specific. So if your liver is inflamed, it's injured, you drank too much or whatever, you'll see A-L-T and you know that that's all liver. Okay if you have AST elevated, it could be your kidneys. It could be your heart. It could be something else. Okay. So that's other stuff. So doctors uh, take into consideration ALT, AST. They also take into something called LD and GGT as well. But for the purposes of your listeners, pay attention to ALT. You don't want to see that higher than maybe like a 35, 40. Um, The labs will vary in range. Some are less forgiving than others, meaning that they want to see alt and ast in the 20s i've seen labs allow them to go up to 50 so it's interpretive right there's some uh, there's a subjective tone to this as well but if you see liver enzymes in the hundreds or three hundreds you know that there's something
0: wrong
2: Mm -hmm.
0: now what uh hand does the liver play in sex hormones because that's another big piece right
1: Yeah, yeah. So the liver is responsible for, um, you know, phase one uh, detoxification in terms of estrogen. And what that means is that, you know, estrogen, you know, is a is an umbrella term, right? Estrogen stands for, you know, there's E1, estrone, there's E2, estradiol, there's E3, estriol. And there's even an E4, which is produced um, by the fetus, actually, in pregnant women only. But anyways, you know, the estrogens, they go down different pathways of metabolism and they become metabolites of estrogen. So it gets broken down, basically. And the liver is is responsible for a process that binds these estrogens so that instead of being fat soluble, they become water soluble because what? It's pushed out via the urine. So there's a conversion that takes place to allow estrogen to be pushed out into the urine. And that's what, you know, phase two and phase, phase one of phase two detoxification means you get, you, you guys may have heard of like methylation or conjugation, you know, these terms, it's just basically talking about detoxification. Mm-hmm. So, so the, the liver plays a huge role in eliminating excess estrogen, because if you have excess estrogen or too much estrogen and you're estrogen dominant, you could have, you know, sore breasts, you could have, you know, you know, poor sleep, you could, Um, you know, have heavy bleeding, erratic periods, because estrogen is responsible for building the uterine lining. So you get clots in your periods, you're you're bleeding through, you know, eight tampons instead of the standard, you know, five to six max per period. Um, So that's where the liver comes into play.
0: Is there also a relation with the liver health and cholesterol?
1: Yeah, yeah. So the liver is responsible for metabolizing cholesterol as well. So cholesterol, you know, we can think of cholesterol as, you know, the, you know, the fat in the food that we eat, you know, that manifests itself as the triglycerides in the blood. Um, but your liver can also manufacture cholesterol because cholesterol is very, um, it's uh, neuroprotective because our brains are, you know, 70% fat. And so you'll see a lot of, you'll see this phenomenon on the lab work of contest prep athletes. Where after a prep and they're, they're eating so healthy, they're not eating any fat at all, but yet you'll see LDL and triglycerides completely elevated. And you're like, how is this possible? It's because their own livers are, are producing it. And so um, we know LDL and triglycerides aren't that great, right? We have certain limits that we want them under. And HDL is the good cholesterol that we want you know, at least 40, 50 or higher. So think of HDL as like a, uh, a street cleaner in your, your vessels and arteries that brings the LDL to your liver for conjugation, methylation, you know, fat, going from fat soluble to water soluble, right? Mm-hmm. And then that gets excreted.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I think people, cholesterol gets demonized, the word cholesterol, right? But they don't realize yeah. it, it plays an important role in like sex hormone production and stuff like that too. So it's also exactly. something that we need.
1: Yes. Yeah. You make a good point there that I forgot to mention that cholesterol is the the first building block of the hormonal chain. So you have cholesterol, you have pregnenolone, you have, you know, the androgens, progesterone, estrogens, and so on and so forth.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's also important and another good thing to look at our ALT and our AST on our lab work. Uh, And then that kind of put us into the cholesterol area, which we just discussed. Now, Mm -hmm. there are lots of people out there talking about cholesterol and about the fact that having a higher LDL is not necessarily a scary thing with regards to other labs, if they are brought into the equation, do you, can you elaborate on any of that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah. I mean, if you're talking about LDL, it's more important to look into particle size, you know, what, what those particles of LDL look like, because if you're, if you're mainly like large particle, Um, it's probably less of a cardiac risk than if you were smaller particle, which, you know, think of like, these are literal, like, you know, bits of fat, tiny, tiny microscopic pieces of lipids that are floating around your, your vessels. And you could get a clot if these are tiny, tiny hard bumps, right. Of Mm -hmm. fat. versus the fluffy stuff can be broken down by vigorous exercise, you know, changing the viscosity of blood flow and via, you know, HDL, which you can boost by eating more omegas or following a a Mediterranean style diet. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, cholesterol, you know, there's a standard that you don't want to be over 200, but you know, I've seen people like in the two, two twenties, two thirties, that's Mm -hmm. still fine. You know, if their HDL is good.
0: And in those cases, are you looking at things like ApoB or CRP or anything like that? Yeah. Not the first
1: one that you mentioned, but CRP I look at. um, I don't test any of the other inflammatory markers like the TNF alpha, the JNK and IKK complexes, Mm -hmm. but CRP, you know, there's two types, right? There's regular and there's HS, which is high sensitivity. Mm -hmm. Um, Either one is fine. They use high sensitivity more so for um, assessing cardiac risk. Yeah.
0: So in that, that's one good inflammatory marker you can kind of take a look at too, sometimes with people. Uh, What's another one? I know ferritin is one that a lot of us like to take a look at. Is that something that you're looking at as well?
1: Yeah, ferritin usually comes with the CBC. um, But either way, ferritin is basically bound iron. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And
1: so, um, you know, iron is obviously necessary for thyroid hormone function production um, if you're low on iron, you could be anemic. Um, we get a lot of iron through food though. Thankfully, if you're living in a first world country, you're probably not going to be too deficient, but ferritin usually will get increased because the body will sequester and bind up iron and store it away because bacterias, the bacterias and viruses love to feed off of iron to proliferate and grow. Mm-hmm. So as a defense mechanism, the body will sort of storehouse, uh, iron as ferritin
0: hmm. That's a good one. So we'll kind of maybe touch on white blood cells and neutrophils and lymphocytes. So I'm, I'm not yeah. sure if that's something that you're bringing into your, your knowledge. I'm sure you take a look at them. But now there's more yeah. and more, more and more, you're hearing more and more about underlying low grade infections that aren't being identified by practitioners. Yeah. Uh, is that anything that you have gotten into?
1: It it definitely is. I mean, there's not much that you can change about the the white blood cell or you know the the neutrophils and lymphocytes. You know these um you know, you know cells that attack you know invaders in the body, right? Mm-hmm. The immune system. Um, but clients who have things like you know they had mono or they have HSV one or HSV two, the herpes virus, or um you know they had You know, COVID, Mm
2: -hmm. right?
1: So these are all, you know, things that could trigger an autoimmune issue. So these are things that you need, you know, people need to be asking um, their clients, you know, in their intake forms. They should be asking about these sort of viruses that people could have encountered, even like chickenpox, you know, people have Mm -hmm. chickenpox or um, Epstein Barr, um, Lyme disease. These are all very, very common. Um, And they absolutely can. You know, trigger an autoimmune flare up down the line.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Have you heard anything about also, I know there are some people out there talking about, I like to bounce these things off of you. So it's kind of fun. Uh, people talking about, um, elevated neutrophils being, uh, associated with like SIBO infections and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Of course. Yeah. I mean, like your gut has its own immune system as well. I mean, you can, you can, um, you, know, s- you know, see that on either the Genova or the GI map, and it's usually the secretory IgA, um, mm-hmm. and the colostrum will kind of indicate immune function or inflammation in the gut. Calprotectin is another marker for that, or um, fecal occult blood. Uh, I think it's like occult-fit on mm-hmm. the GI map. But yeah, if you have an active gut infection, you have SIBO, you have any sort of dysbiosis, overgrowth, giardia, H. pylori, candida, any of that stuff, you could see some, you know, elevation on your CDC as well, um, showing increased immune activity. Mm-hmm. And if you got to get an a aperogenoma test done, you'd probably see increased secretory IGA activity.
0: Awesome. I always like to hear what you have to say about that stuff. So that's great. Yeah. Well, did we miss anything, Jeff? Is there something else that you think needs to be covered or did we touch on everything today in our chat?
1: I think we did, a, you know, this was a very, very smooth and very, very comprehensive conversation. You're a great host, by the oh, way.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Um, I guess my my only uh, imparting message here is like, you know, you know this may sound over the top and complex to a lot of people and that's totally fine. But just remember that The core message here is to don't gaslight yourself. If something's wrong, ask questions until you find answers that satisfy you. Mm
2: -hmm. Don't be
1: afraid to ask for tests and find someone who can help you interpret them, not replace your doctor, but health coaches like myself, like Connie, Mm -hmm. countless others out there who are educated and willing to help, they're all great resources. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, remember that stress, inflammation, inflammation, and insulin resistance are going to be the core drivers of every p- problem you can even think of in this in this uh, arena of health and fitness. And those are all things that are rooted in lifestyle decisions and lifestyle habits that you may or may not be aware of. Mm-hmm. So, and, and a lot of that stuff is in your control.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
1: um, don't get lost in the um, the high end details, the peak of the pyramid. Work the base, and you'd be surprised how far you can go.
0: I love it. Well, if people want to reach out to you and talk to you about anything like this or do a consultation or become a client or just look into your stuff, how do they find you?
1: Yeah. Mainly on Instagram at First Call of Fitness. I have a website, www.firstcallfitness.com or just look me up on Facebook, Instagram, Jeffrey Sue. You can find me. Um, Yeah. And are you still
0: selling class recording packages and stuff like that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I still have that bundle of classes. It's like seven classes. Um, it's over, you know, 14 hours of learning plus all materials. It's 500 bucks. So
0: I uh, heavily, heavily recommend that too. That might sound like a steep fee for some, but these you get insane value. And this, I yeah. think you educate in such a way that if somebody is really having an extreme struggle with their health, if they were mm-hmm. to just take a few of your classes, maybe even just like a lab work one or a stress one or cycle syncing, whatever it may be, it's going to help them further educate themselves so they can advocate for their health as well. So that's another option if exactly. for some reason they can't do custom coaching with people such as you and I definitely a great option. Yep. So awesome, Jeff, this has been a amazing conversation and I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show today.
1: Definitely. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about me, my online programs, or to inquire about coaching, please visit www.connynightingale.com. And remember, nothing in the contents of this show is intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any illness, and it is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult with your primary care physician before implementing any new health protocols.